drunk mythology friends i'm kate and i'm the other jen and we're the drunk drunk mythology girls <laughs> wait you're singing this week i that, that i was... don't know if i was singing or just screaming inside <laughs> oh my god <laughs> that was just weird <laughs> yeah it, it, it has been a weird week this is like the third monday in a row of this week at least yeah but it's, yeah yes an og didn't yeah. help by nope. posting that article the other night about like what's going down in florida right now yeah that was uh, i i resisted clicking on the link as long as i could but then i couldn't resist it. i clicked it too and apparently <laughs> it's all about her and the fact that she is hunting down poisonous puss caterpillars in florida puss or pus uh pus or puss i don't know it, I, that's what <laughs> my mind lives in the gutter so i say pus puss <laughs> And they're furry. So what do you want from me? They are. You look at the picture and this thing looks like a stuffed animal you would buy at the store. Uh, and it's Actually, just... Kim said it better. Sound effects yeah. Kim said it better. She's like, it's like a rogue biting toupee. Yes. <laughs> and. Uh, yes. Yeah. So she's with the help of her trusty three-legged alligator companion. OG is yes. out in the wild hunting them down. Yep, she is. <laughs> yeah. And so, oh. yeah. yeah. But you know what? This is kind of the perfect setting for a fuck the Romans holiday part two. Oh, are you serious? Oh, my goodness. I okay. follow. I when it comes to fucking the Romans, I always follow through. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Look, my mind has been in the gutter with my chapel of ease for a while. <laughs> oh shit! You went there. <laughs> I had to. It's been that kind of week. So, actually, I do have a legit question. Did you ever see a Roman holiday? The movie? Um, I I feel like I probably did at one point in time, but I don't remember it. Yeah, it's I Audrey mean, Hepburn and Gregory Peck. Yeah, I'm a huge Audrey Hepburn fan. I am a fan of movies from that time period. Yeah. It's it's something I definitely would watch, but I I can't mm -hmm. remember if I actually did. But well, yeah, you might be blocking yeah. the emotional damage from that movie. Oh. Because the ending made me want to throw shit at the TV. <gasps> oh. It's bad? Yeah. Well, like, it's not bad. It's Okay, your it's, definition of a bad ending and my definition of a bad ending are probably not. They, they probably don't you know, have the same criteria. Let me criteria. put it to you this way. <laughs> Look, it's I, I don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it because definitely you do not want to spoil this movie. Um, but okay. I could only watch it once because it's literally the emotional sucker punch equivalent of the Sarah McLaughlin ASPCA commercial. Oh fuck. Really? Yes. And that's all okay. I'm going to say about so it. You're gonna make me go watch no, it. Now. I'm not saying anything. No, I don't know if I you should. I honestly do not know Damn if you should. So um, anyway. Um, I'll at least yeah. pull up a trailer after we're done recording. Uh, that won't help you. Oh. Just 
take my advice <laughs> and leave it as one of those things okay. best left to themselves. So anyway, unlike what? the Romans, <laughs> the actual Roman holidays <laughs> that we talked about last week, we talked about you know, basically a local beach vacation or the Roman equivalent of going to Florida. That's right for the the Romans went to Baye. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're still in the same country, like the food's familiar, same chain restaurants. Where do they go? You want to get your snails. The UK, they go somewhere. Where do they go when they're going to the coast? There we go. They go to Brighton or Littleston. There are all these little like beach resort towns along the coast. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and in France, they, they'll go, you know, they'll go to Brittany or they'll go to the south of France, um, Cannes, Marseille, stuff like that. So, gotcha. uh, but this week we're doing the Roman version of National Lampoon's European Vacation. Oh, okay. It's the Romans abroad. Oh. <gasps> Oh, and they're they being just as awful. As, <laughs> and, and they are being just as awful as they are when they're at home. So fun times! Yay! And I'm I'm almost hesitant to uh, introduce this little <laughs> side segment, but oh my god, uh, uh, sacrifices to Odin this week! Oh my god! Okay, so you mentioned earlier this is like the third Monday in a row because we're recording this the week that we've had Monday off for Labor Day. Labor Day week, yeah. Yeah. Here in the United States, we get a day off of work. Everything shuts down. Well, almost everything. Um, Except for liquor deliveries. God bless them. (laughs) Right. It messes with things. It messes with your your rhythm. And when you have... And your sense of, uh, you know, being put upon on a Monday. (laughs) Right. It it screws with the Mondayness. Of the week. Of Monday. And yeah. So, yeah. So, Tuesday then acts like Monday. And Wednesday's yeah. like, oh, I didn't know we could do this. I want to do that too. And it's like, no, Wednesday, damn it, stay in your lane. Wednesday's damn like, it. Ah, I'm in the Monday lane. <laughs> Monday lane. <laughs> Me and Tuesday, we're just hanging out over here in the Monday lane. Wednesday's like you cruising by you, rolling down the window and giving the finger. <laughs> right. It oh is. God, that was the most awesome and- thing ever. <laughs> Tomorrow's uh, yeah. Thursday. We're recording this on Wednesday, and tomorrow's Thursday. And I'm like giving Thursday the side eye, uh, the side eye, and it's like, don't, don't do it, don't do it. <laughs> Thursday's like edging oh, over, like I'm gonna do the thing. Thursday's like inching its toe across the line, like <laughs> I'm a Monday. I'm a Monday. Call me one. I'm going to step. I'm going to step over. And I'm like, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. At least yeah. Fridays, they, Friday always stays in its lane. Friday is always Friday. Friday is always hungover well, from Thursday, no matter what Thursday actually right. thinks it is. <laughs> right. Friday is always just chill. It's like, I got it. And dude. now you fucking jinxed it. Thanks, Jen. <laughs> God damn it, Jennifer. <laughs> yeah. Yes, but yeah, that's been my my sacrifice this week is that everything every day has been just the hell of a Monday 
over and over again. It's like a Groundhog everywhere. Monday. Oh my God, I hate that movie. <laughs> I've actually never seen Sorry. that movie. <laughs> Don't. I, I, or I, I, I'll go I watch Roman Holiday and you watch The Groundhog Day. I don't know if I can do, I, I don't know if I can handle that because let me tell you, like, uh, you know, I, I generally try not to have anything against any day of the week, but like, okay, yesterday I, uh, so obviously in Southern California here, we're in the middle of, you know, the start of your average apocalypse. We've got water restrictions. Right. We've got power restrictions and I'm recording during a power restriction. Ha <laughs> bitches. Um, but yeah, I'm also sitting in the dark, so I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and, and yesterday I had a doctor's appointment. It was a, uh, hoo-ha cancer follow-up and nope. I, I was getting on the highway and I blew a tire. Yes, and so I, I managed yes. to limp back to the house uh, with my, literally my tire was shredded. There was no, mm -hmm. nothing left in terms of pressure. Like right. I could feel yeah. the rim going ka-chunk, ka-chunk, right. ka-chunk. So yeah. I get on the highway, I get there, there's like two accidents in the middle of the highway, but I still get there so only 15 pause, minutes. Pause, pause, pause. You, you took the flat tire car home and changed cars. I don't yes. want people to think that you drove the ka-chunk, oh, ka-chunk, no. ka-chunk. Uh, you, uh, you were not far from home, so you were able to get back home and switch cars. Yes. I mean, yes. I'm okay. a ditz and I'm a risk taker, but even <laughs> I know that you can't drive a ka-chunk, ka-chunk tire <laughs> right. 28 okay. miles one direction. Yeah. So anyway, I get there and I'm only 15 minutes late, but I'm like, okay, I'm here. And they're like, uh, her office moved uh, two buildings over. I'm like, God damn it. So, you know, I have to, there's no way to like interconnect, you know, walk interconnectedly in the air conditioning through the building. So I have to go back down back outside. outside. And I'm like, uh, you know, like just yeah. so hot. And I finally get to the building and yeah, you know, um, follow up, wasn't expecting it, but got a biopsy. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah. But yeah, you know, whatever. It it was small. Hopefully it's self-contained, but it wasn't the most pleasant thing to happen. So then right, right, right. I get home. I'm, you know, kind of just uncomfortable, but whatever, doing my thing. And then it's time to feed the dogs. And I go <laughs> and, you know, horseradish pod dog is doing his thing. Yep. And then I go to look for the puppies because the puppies are absolute heathens who would just as soon like, you know, hang me on a roasting spit if I'm right. five minutes late with their dinner, I'm like, right. where are they? And I, I check all the rooms. I check the backyard. I, I even check the front yard because like, God knows they might've gotten out the front. No, they didn't get out the front. They got out the back <laughs> and they're frolicking in our alley. And I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. <sighs> like my dog's getting loose because yeah. the Senjis are uh, not the greatest when it comes to obedience. Right. And like coming back home. Yeah, yeah. And I I I literally screamed. <laughs> and I'm like running away from them because the, there is one trick that I did learn that if you act if your dog sees you and you run away from them, they're likely They'll to chase you because they think it's a game. Exactly. Yes. So I ran back yeah. 
toward the house. Right. And they followed me. Thank fuck. But yeah. Yeah. So that was that. (laughs) I'm offering all of that up to Odin. (laughs) Quite a day. Yes. You had quite the adventure yesterday. (laughs) It's hilarious and Yes, there's a concerning element in there. Yeah. But it the funny parts are just as funny hearing it the second time around for you me. You know, and then I log on to our group Discord and OG <laughs> posts the toupee caterpillar. Right. And I'm like, this is this has made my day worth it. <laughs> right. So this is a thing. Poisonous caterpillar. It's yeah. That looks like a goddamn toupee. It does. It absolutely does. It's enough to drive you to drink. <laughs> but I'm but I'm what are you drinking? <laughs> are you there? Did you just, I am like, drinking. Pull off the chair and die. <laughs> uh, no, I'm here. Okay. I'm drinking. Okay, what do you have? Um I had a very very small glass of jack only for, for like offerings to the gods because I'm trying really hard to stay hydrated because our hundred yes. degree heat is like even yeah. if you drink 64 ounces you need to up it to almost 100 yeah. to stay hydrated yeah. as a transplant recipient ah right gotcha but I I do want to throw in a one other quick little note that mm-hmm. um this past weekend I ran a 5k that's right. I forgot about that. There's been so much since then. I know. I know. Like all the Mondays since then. Right. But I ran a 5K. And you you know, again, that's why I had like hydration on my mind because, you know, yep. even though like by the time I finished at 8.15, it was like 78 degrees. Whew, right. That was a hot run. Yeah. Um, I met another kidney transplant recipient at the <gasps> race. No way. Yes. And her name is what Michelle. Are- and she's six months out from her wow. transplant. Bless her. And I mean that not in the Southern fucky way. I mean that in the genuine, like calling right. upon, yes. you know, whatever is out there that will listen to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, because God damn it. That's awesome. Like six that months is, out. We yeah. actually like we were another woman was sort of hanging out with us. And when we found out we were like both kidney transplanters, we like immediately, the first thing we did was like pull down like the corner of our shorts and pull up our shirts to like compare. Oh my God. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah. So that's, you know, shout out to any, uh, Anybody with transplants listening to us, stay hydrated. Stay hydrated. Show your scars. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so, anyway. so did you tell her about the podcast? Is she listening? I, I don't. I I actually, the race, they literally like started the firing gun as we were uh, talking. So I was uh, like, oh. you know, and she's like, no, you're running it. I'm walking it. You run. Run, bitch. Yeah. I was like, okay, yes. I'm running. <laughs> Ah, I love her already. <laughs> and I did run the whole way. So that's that right. is a major achievement for me. You did. You did amazing, amazing, amazing. Look, it was I, you know, awesome. I wasn't setting any yeah. land speed records, but it was faster than walking. Yes. <laughs> so, anyway. Yes. So uh, yeah. Stay drink. hydrated, SoCal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, my drink. I have economics homework to do when we finish up. So I'm drinking a carbonated water. 
It's uh, not, that it's, is really disappointing. I know, I know. It's not exactly La Croix. It is the Target brand, Good and Gather. <laughs> as long as it's not the Target brand, like shitty carbonated wine seltzer. It is Good and Gather Ginger Peach. So oh, how is that? that? Oh, it's my favorite. It is really? hands down my favorite. And I get really pissy when they're out of stock of this flavor because I think everybody else likes it too and buys this one a lot. I drink one of these every Sunday when I am doing the field trip with my mother ah, to go visit yes. my father um, because the ginger, whatever amount of ginger is in here, even if it's just psychological, it settles the anxiety nausea. Fair enough, man. Fair yeah. fucking enough. Yeah. So, so this is my go-to drink. Um, today I picked it just because I felt like it. I don't have any anxiety nausea today. I was just like, I want this flavor. You will. So, oh dear. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was what pre premonition? Is that the right word I'm looking for? Yeah. Yeah. It, you you were unconsciously aware that the Romans were coming. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Fine. And I didn't write down anything for the freaking disclaimer this time. I, I had the pen covered in it. my hand. I'm yeah, pretty don't sure drink and drive covered. cars, chariots, eight-legged horses, poisonous pus or puss caterpillars. <laughs> um, Mondays. Tuesday's trying to be Mondays. Wednesday's trying to be Mondays. Thursday, I'm looking at you. Don't do it. I'm doing the thing. <laughs> or ginger peach carbonated water from Target. There you go. <laughs> Let's get started. A long time ago when the world was young and still trying to figure out how to bug out of work a day early to start vacation. So again, for this part two, we are still using the amazing book, Tourism in History by Maxine Pfeiffer. And Yay. while it is technically out of print, you can get copies on Amazon, Abooks, uh, A Libris, uh, eBay. But yeah, there are copies available and they're not terribly expensive if you're not looking for the most pristine version of it. But it's, again, it is one of the books that shaped me as a person. So love Very it cool. or hate it. I don't know. <laughs> don't buy it just to burn it. I'm just saying. <laughs> so last week we talked about, like I said, we talked about the local vacation going to Baie on the coast of Italy, not far from Naples. And ironically, there's also a Naples, Florida. Right. And, you know, that was a trip that was, it was a trip. Like it, a hundred miles from Rome, even today, like a hundred miles is a decent distance. Um, right. Except that we're still connected by cell and Wi-Fi, but whatever. Yeah. Um, but, you know, back then, given the Cursus Publicus, which was that amazing network of well-maintained roads that literally linked the entire Roman Empire together, um, getting to Baie was really the equivalent of getting um, cheap airfare to Florida. Got it. Hello, Southwest. <laughs> I, I I was thinking, like, remember all those, like, super, super discount airlines in the 90s? I don't. I they, wasn't flying. 
Yeah, I I did a lot of flying in the late 90s, early 2000s, and a lot of like really like literally fly by night airlines. Yikes. For, probably for good reasons aren't around anymore. Anyway, um, <laughs> but hello, JetBlue. We love JetBlue here. So, oh, yeah. Um, now, if you wanted to, as an ancient Roman, get somewhere further afield, but still, you know, maybe familiar enough cultural comforts that it was more like an American going to England or an Englishman coming to America as opposed to like one of those documentaries about somebody who, I don't know, decides to hike the length of the Amazon river, you know, (laughs) that kind of sort of comfortable, but foreign vacation. Right. If you were an Imperial Roman between second and fourth century CE, the Pax Romana, um, and wanted to take a big trip, you would head to Greece itself. Okay. So it's not just, because remember we talked about how Naples last week was sort of like uh, the Epcot Center Greek village. <gasps> of oh, the okay. This, this is coming back to me. Yep. Yep. It, but actual Greece wasn't that impossible to get to. Okay. It you was actually a boat, a, I presume. It, it was a two-week boat journey. Okay. But that's not all that bad, considering like other trips overland and larger, longer uh, sea voyages, you know, right. and considering during the Pax Romana, quote unquote, you know, you were going to deal with your basic travel hardships, but, you know, it was less likely you were going to get set upon by highway robbers or pirates. Um, gotcha. But yeah, going to actual Greece in the second century CE just goes to show that it's every culture's fate to eventually become quaint. Uh-oh. America, I like I, I, <laughs> I'm just going to say this. Um, our fate as the United States of America will eventually be no different. And that's not because I hate America. I love our country. But history just shows that eventually we all become quaint. Oh, okay. And that's not always a bad thing because usually something better comes along. Ah, gotcha. So hopefully we're going, uh, you know, Eventually in a better direction, assuming the apocalypse, the (laughs) water and power apocalypse doesn't kill us. Anyway, um, (laughs) now while there weren't necessarily the ye old lonely planet guides with restaurant and hotel listings, you'll remember that there was that itinerarium map. Oh, I remember you talking about that. Yep. And you were really excited about it because it literally had like it had yes. guides like with like different types of yes. uh, lodging quality and things like that. Yes. But for ancient Greece, and again, if you're living in 150 CE and you want to go gawk at some 400s BCE Greek monuments, you're looking back 550 years. So, wow, right. That's the so think of your trip to Paris this spring, and that's the equivalent of you going to see the Louvre. Damn. And while the Louvre itself, like the original buildings, are much older, there are wings that were built about 550 years 
Earl ago. And they're the newer ones. Wait, wait, wait. The building itself, the is, museum, the Louvre. Yes. It, is, it, was a pa- it was a palace. Oh. And it was older than 550 years. But one of the wings was around the 550 year mark if I because I spent actual time going through and trying to find what the equivalent of 550 years ago would be oh what wait okay is the Louvre the museum where I saw and I'm doing air quotes the palace apartments probably and it, I was just it's like the one with the Mona drooling. Lisa. Yes, but there yeah. was somewhere one of these museums we went to had like the apartment rooms, and it was there was like in the corner there was like a spiral staircase in one mm-hmm. area that you just like walk by it, and I'm like, that's kind of odd, and it's because they were actual apartments, this little section that we're walking through and we're mm-hmm. seeing the furniture and stuff. And I'm like drooling. That sounds like the, I mean, that sounds like the Louvre. I haven't been there Napoleon in probably almost 20 years. <laughs> Napoleon apartments, Napoleon. Where are those? I feel like that's where, anyway, um, sorry. I'm just, yeah, yeah. I, um, I, I don't know off the top of my head. It me sounds off like on Louvre, a tangent. But, you know, the Louvre has different wings, like palaces would start as one building and they would build, you know, additions on as time and money and family politics permitted. And so one of the wings of the Louvre was about built about 550 years, give or take a few from today. Wow. So when you went to the Louvre, you were taking the equivalent journey of an, you know, an early Pax Romana um, Imperial Roman going back to the motherland to look at Greece. Damn. <laughs> and that time period that you're we're talking about is like, remember Socrates? A little bit. The the philosopher asshole. Yes. Yes. And you know, we're talking about like this golden age of Athens where you had Socrates, uh, you had Alcibiades, you had all these great figures and it was, okay, yeah. So, but sort of the awe and distance that you felt would be exactly what the Imperial Roman tourist would feel. Wow. Okay. And so- But back to guidebooks and ye old guidebooks, there was one guidebook when it came to quote unquote ancient Greece, and it was written by a guy named Pausanias. And I've mentioned his name before. He gets brought up a lot. That's a familiar name. Yep. Pausanias and Herodotus are are two of the more um, cynical and pragmatic. Uh, writers of history and geography. <laughs> okay. From the time period. Got it. Um, and it, it's funny how they're never brought up when it, in, in relation to um, ancient aliens, because it's never right. aliens. Right. Right. They're literally, they're writing and asking questions like, um, but if, if Zeus did that, then why don't we see this? <laughs> Got it. Yeah. 
So Pausanias uh, is really famous for his series of books called Descriptions of Greece. And it is a series of 10 quote unquote books. Okay. Now, the books are determined not necessarily by length because now, you know, in publishing, you and I are familiar with the publishing world. Publishing, you know, a novel, a book is 50,000 plus words. You know, there right. are certain lengths, but we're talking scrolls and codices. Um, okay. His books are divided more in terms of regions of Greece. All righty. So, anyway. Um, now there are some questions about the final books being actually written by him. He may have died before they were done, in which case finishing them and publishing them from the afterlife would be a really neat party trick. Oh, he obviously did it with the help of aliens. (laughs) Or a Ouija board. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, it was probably the aliens. They cryo-freezed him or whatever. Right. So Pausanias was known as a Greek geographer, which is basically what the ancients had in terms of words to call ancient travelogue writers because they didn't have the travelogue. Okay. So he was a slightly more pragmatic version of Elizabeth Gilbert's Eat, Pray, Love and Bill Bryson's numerous works that they, those two are the spiritual descendants of Pausanias. Gotcha. Okay. So, um, because if you would read either of those and be like, I really want to go see that particular monument they mentioned in that scene, or, mm-hmm. you know, it, you read about something and then you go see it. That's the sort of thing about Pausanias. Now, after its publication towards the end of the second century CE, so 180-ish to 200 CE, um, descriptions of Greece was pretty much top of the charts for a really (laughs) long time, like centuries. It was the Greek Times bestseller. (laughs) It it was the Pax Romana bestseller, baby. (laughs) And um, it was required reading, pretty much, if you were going to go travel to Greece, or even if you weren't. It was like an it book that, you know, if you've ever been to a pretentious uh, book club or cocktail party, we're like, oh, did you read that? Yeah, I read that. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, you know, oh yeah, I read it last month when I was on vacation in Baye. Had to kill time between my volcanic mud massage appointments and watching that crazy dude throw slaves into his eel pond. <laughs> I haven't gotten over the feeding of slaves to the eels thing, if you can't tell, because that horrifies me. Yes. Yeah. So basically, you'd have to read it, which in those days meant co- coming close to memorizing it. Like reading isn't that it, there's a whole other deep dive on our Patreon that I'm going to have to do about reading and oh. reading comprehension and what it actually means and how it has changed over the millennia. Wow. Because reading, you know, we read something and we're closer to skimming than actual reading. I would agree with that. Yeah. And, you know, books and the written word is far more plentiful. In fact, sometimes it's too plentiful. But in (laughs) the old, it was super rare. So you would read and reread and linger and work 
the words through your mind. So, you know, and also memorization wasn't something that was so much of a foreign concept to them. Okay. Um, you know, because <clears throat> even though they did have written records and writing and, you know, for the upper classes, memorization was still something you really depended on. And that's something uh, like, when was the last time you memorized a phone number? Um, probably my own. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I don't even know my mom's cell phone number off the top of my head. Yeah. I don't know. I can tell you mine. I can tell you my husband's. I could not tell you my kids' phone numbers. Exactly. So, you know, think about the degree to which we memorize yeah, versus the amount of information coming at us. And anyway, but yeah, so they would read these books and probably reread them and again, come close to memorizing them at home before you went on this trip to Greece, because it's not exactly convenient to lug 10 huge leather bound books shipboard across thousands of miles. Oh, right. Okay. Because, yeah, we do have to give credit to the Romans, which kind of kills me because they quote unquote <laughs> invented or at least popularized the binding of books instead of scrolls. Oh, wow. Yep. I we had to do a deep dive on that. That sounds yeah, fascinating. Writing this to me. script literally generated seven deep dive topics. Oh, goodness. Oh, my goodness. I am so angry. <laughs> but. Once you felt solid enough to drop some rando Pausanias quotes as needed, <laughs> you now needed to turn your attention to the logistics of getting there to ancient Greece or oh, Greece, yeah. Disney Greece. Okay. Um, and as there was no ye old travelocity or kayak, there was just a lot of throwing money at the situation and hoping for the best. Oh my goodness. Okay. So the first thing you had to do was get to the port of Ostia, which sat at the mouth of the Tiber River, which the Tiber River actually runs from the Mediterranean all the way into the center of Rome. Oh, okay. So it would have been like a modern commercial local highway. Like you've got the interstate freeways and then you've got your local highways. Right. Right. You know, okay. you, you get off 95 and you join the uh, state-sponsored ring road around Raleigh to get to your right. delivery. Like, that's what it was. Okay, cool. So, but, you know, fear not, unlike the hike to Baie, Ostia was only 19 miles. Oh. So it's doable in a day, probably for even the most decadent travelers. Yeah. But even the one slave per glass serving dish tourists ended up having to consolidate a bit more because shipboard traveling put some natural constraints on luggage in a way that a road trip down to Baye didn't. Oh, right? Because okay. you had to pay yeah. for the passage right. of each slave or servant. <gasps> right. Whereas if you're just camping out on the road, you know, it's a right. one and done buy a tent, buy a big slave tent once. Yes. You know? Yeah. But, you know, on a little side note, um, and this is one of the uh, Patreon topics that 
I have to investigate because it makes okay. me so angry. Um, okay. It's a, it's interesting that these ancient capitals like Athens and Rome were built just inland enough that they weren't truly vulnerable to naval attacks. Like okay. I could do yeah. a whole other podcast about ancient cities that made that mistake of building right on the water. Oh, so, okay. you know, Rome was 19 miles from Ostia. I think Athens is something like 15 miles from the Piraeus. Okay. And the Piraeus might be familiar if you cast your mind back to Greek Norsevember. And we talked about the Vikings who mm -hmm. made it to the Piraeus and then left their graffiti on the light on that big lion statue there. Yes. Because I just did not to scale for that not too long ago. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, you know, you've got the Piraeus and you've got Ostia, but also um, those towns managed, offered some sort of natural management of the less desirable elements that came along with ships and shipping and harbors and docks. Like okay. crime, disease, crime, more crime. And I guess they could count prostitution. Yeah. I don't count prostitution as that because honestly, that's just trying to make ends meet. And I don't, Yeah, I, I think we need to decriminalize the history of prostitution. So that's just my, yeah. So anyway, yeah. Um, I included a little uh, map here and yes. it, it, it doesn't have the scale on it, but it does not look to scale. It it gives you at least a general sense <laughs> of of you know. Look, Rome and Ostia are a lot further together, but it also shows you Naples, Herculaneum, Pompeii, like you know, yes, that beach vacation area. When we finish recording, I will get caught up on the not to scale posts. That's fine. I'm, just I'm sure I just jinxed myself. Something yeah. else is going to yeah. come along. What are you going to learn? Derail. God damn it, Jennifer. <laughs> I don't learn. That's going on our 2022 commemorative cup. <laughs> God damn it, Jennifer. <laughs> of all the new phrases. that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so oh. you, yours is like, oh, shit. <laughs> Mine is, God damn it, Jennifer. Um, so anyway. Our traveling Imperial Roman family gets to Ostia, and unlike other Jen and I, who freak every if every single logistical detail isn't nailed down well in advance, and in Jen's case, logged into a spreadsheet, they were more sanguine about the procedure of booking passage, because they had to, to be. I have to pause you for a second. Yes, Kate is 100% on point accusing me of logging vacations in a spreadsheet because she is even being subjected to one that is in the planning work. I wasn't even thinking of that one. I was thinking of when you were in the <laughs> islands and texting me with rage because the, like you were trying to find something that wasn't in the goddamn spreadsheet. Yes. And yes, every trip has a spreadsheet, including you coming to visit me in January and this little trip that we're working on and we're not talking about too much yet. But yes, there's a spreadsheet. For yeah. <laughs> a so, multi-sheet multi workbook. So uh, I, I, you need to start doing some deep breathing here. 
for the next Uh-oh. couple of paragraphs. Okay, taking some sips of the ginger. Yes, <laughs> find your happy place. Okay. So there were no tourism ships. Uh, and, you know, it kind of makes sense because while people did travel, mm-hmm. the proportion, uh, you know, the economic supply and demand okay. or demand and supply. Oh, my God. <laughs> Triggered. Uh, Triggered. Would have been just a little, it, it wouldn't have made sense financially. But if you were looking to go from Rome to Greece, all you had mm-hmm. to do was get to Ostia and then wander the docks and talk to the different captains of merchant ships. And you know what? Maybe your buddies back in Rome had done this trip before and they're like, oh, go find Secundinus. <laughs> <laughs> He might be a dick, but he has he runs a tight ship. <laughs> Secundinus, I feel you're replacing Bob. But anyway, um, yeah. So you would find a merchant ship heading in the direction who'd be willing to take your group for a fee. Now, this is not as awkward as it sounds, though, because it was a common practice. Like, everyone knew that this... It, was how it was done. Okay. Like, just like when, you know, when you go to check in at the airport, you know, there are certain things you're going to have to have your ID out, you know, either you right. have the TSA pre-check or you have to take your shoes off. Like, like you just know that wherever you go, there are certain things that are going to happen and you have to navigate them. Right. So, you know, uh, another thing was everybody pretty much knew you only tried to travel by boat if you were a tourist between May and the end of October, which is also common sense, not just for shipping and, you know, storm weather because they shipped stuff year round if they had to. But, you know, between May and October are the hottest and most miserable months to be inland. Ah, Okay. And so, therefore, that's why, if you remember to last week's episode, they would call a recess to the judicial courts and the the legislative sessions because oh. nobody wanted to be in fucking Rome in July. Okay. Wow. So, right. you know, once a date was agreed upon between you and the captain, and again, deep breathing, Jen. Okay. Um, it, that date might still change. <gasps> At the last minute, with no warning. Wait, 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 wait. What? No, no. You go. You okay? You go to uh, Aust- no Ostia. I said that right. Aust- yes, you did say it. <laughs> you get to Ostia. You you find a captain. You find Captain Secundus. Captain Secundus. Yes, <laughs> Bob. <laughs> captain first mate Bob. <laughs> first mate Bob. You guys, he's going the same place you want to go. Yes. He's got space. He says, yes, you can bring your box. He takes your deposit. He's like, yeah, we're good. We got space. Yeah, absolutely. We're going the same place. Sure. Bring all those boxes that you have with all your slaves. Yeah, we got it covered. Good deal. Handshake. Yes. But it still might not happen. Well, it, it it will happen. It's just 
It could be first Monday of the week or third Monday of the week or fourth Monday of the week. <laughs> okay. And you might still miss the ship. What? How do so, you miss the ship if you're there? Well, <clears throat> so, you know, at the docks, ships would have specific berths and you would try to get your family set up within a day or two of the travel date at an okay. inn along the docks. And okay. hopefully closer to the ship than not, because you needed to be within earshot of the ship's herald. Okay, I don't know what a herald is. A herald is uh, a guy with a really, really loud voice who walks up and down and yells announcements. Like, you ever see like a movie or a cartoon with like the hear ye, hear ye? Oh, yeah. Okay. That, you know, except in Latin. Oh, <laughs> okay. And basically, um, his job was to walk up and down, and depending how industrious he was, determine the distance up and down within okay. uh, the distance of the ship. Okay. He would walk up and down the dock, crying out the ship was ready to leave now. Oh. Okay. If your inn wasn't close enough, <gasps> you might not hear him. Oh. Now, there were obviously certain things that were out of the captain's control that legitimately could affect a departure date. So, okay. a change in the weather, a brewing storm, you know. Oh, okay. You know, remember, these are large ships, but they're sailing ships without GPS engines, bilge pumps, lifeboats. You know, so uh, to err okay. on the side of caution is not a bad thing. But the date could also be changed for any number of uh, ill omens, such as a passenger sneezing on the gangplank. <gasps> what the hell? Although, if you break this superstition down, it kind of makes a little bit of sense it, so remember when we did the episode about Leda and the Swan, how we talked about how if you actually broke the myth down, you mm -hmm. might find a plausible kernel of reality in right. where the rumor came from. So, right. you know, a passenger sneezes on a gangplank. That could be an indication that somebody is sick. Okay. And... Like, you know, this was not something unusual, even up through World War II. Like, when my mother's family came over, um, they were refugees from World War II, and they were leaving um, from Bremenhaven in Germany, uh, having come up from Croatia, Yugoslavia, to Italy, to Bremenhaven. Um, the charity boat had to take everybody's temperatures before they boarded. <gasps> wow. And they got kicked off the gangplank because my uncle Franco, who was a toddler back then, okay. had a raging fever that ended up being polio. Oh my word. And that could have infected the whole boat because they didn't have the polio vaccine. Damn. And actually, I did some internet sleuth digging and I found the ship manifesto for the date they were supposed to sail. Yeah. And their names are all there, all four <gasps> of them. 
with no a big red way. slash through it. No freaking way. Yeah. Maybe that should go in the not to scale. How do you not have a picture of this? I God. forgot to put it in there. But yeah, I haven't. Kate. <laughs> God. But, you know, so, you know, uh, somebody sneezing while it, we, it comes down to us as quote unquote superstition. Okay. It's not, uh, it's not unreasonable in my mind. Got it. However, the other omens, (laughs) sighting a crow in the rigging. Oh dear God. Although crows are uh, known to eat carrion. So I don't know, maybe somebody is so sick that they're about to die and the crow's like fresh meat. Oh dear. Okay. Um, Or, you know, first mate Bob dreams of a black goat. (laughs) That could also fuck your sailing date. Uh, Oh my God. What the hell is with the black goat? What? I I don't know. But provided none of those shenanigans happened, the travelers boarded the ship and proceeded to set up camp. Camp. Literally. Okay. So ancient merchant ships did not have guest cabins. I mean, they barely had a cabin at all. Maybe for the captain. Maybe. Maybe he okay. just had a nicer tent. Okay. Um, because the boats were mostly focused on what you could carry and how many people could row. Oh, wow. But okay. again, this wouldn't be entirely unexpected and they wouldn't be entirely unprepared for it. Because remember, like on the road to Baye, the traveler would have to set up camp complete with tent, cooking utensils, bed, etc. Okay, right. And you would have the servants and slaves you needed to set it up and prepare the food. Oh, you would have to bring your own food, wine, and water as well. Okay. I mean, with all that we've covered so far, this isn't so far fetched anymore. Just this. Wait. You just uh, jinxed it. Because now, if you got this. seasick, it really wasn't a big deal because the Romans loved throwing up. What? As a culture. They oh invented my. the concept of the vomitorium. I've never heard this word. The vomitorium is a real thing. Oh my God. It I'm has, not Googling it. I'm not Googling please it. Please do not. Please do not. We. I will explain it later. But basically oh. they created a special architectural space within their houses for it. Oh my word. They believed in throwing up in a big way. So fuck you. Fuck the Romans. Oh um Okay. Eventually, after two weeks of potentially being seasick or not and living shipboard, um, you finally got to Greece. Yay. <laughs> Your enthusiasm is overwhelming. But also, um, remember the It's Never Aliens episode we did with the Ant- Antikythera machines? Yes. And we talked about how so many amazing luxury items were found and they were finding bits of skeletons in the remains and stuff. This sounds familiar. And it, they thought that, you know, once they did the DNA on the skeletons, it looked like, you know, they had at least one or two females, an older man. Like it looked like this ship was carrying passengers. Okay, right. So, it, and it was a wealthy trading ship with 
probably wealthy passengers. So anyway, after two weeks of that, you get to Greece and your first stop is at Delphi, as in the Oracle of Delphi. Why does that sound familiar? Um, If you ever saw the movie 300? Nope. Okay, that's going on the group watch list. But the Oracle (laughs) of Delphi was where the ancient Greeks would go to basically uh, get their horoscopes. (laughs) It was a big fortune-telling site. Oh, okay. And so the image that I have, um, I couldn't find a map that actually had the uh, cities that I wanted with the actual passage. But if you keep going to the left, it opens out into the open Mediterranean. So you would, your boat would sail into sort of this little inland isthmus sea. Got it. That would take you to Delphi and then Thebes and eventually overland to Athens. Gotcha. Okay. So um, the first thing you did at Delphi was to make a sacrifice to Apollo. And he was the god in charge of the famous shrine. And the oracular priest receiving the sacrifice would then tell your fortune. And it was less like the, oh my God, the future of Sparta depends on this. And more like getting a nice little fortune cookie, unless you're like other gen. Oh shit. You remember this. (laughs) I forget nothing. I got an empty fortune cookie a couple weeks ago. Empty. Completely. There was no fortune inside of it. Nothing. It was aliens. <laughs> it was aliens. <laughs> it was the aliens this time. Like, what the f- You're so powerful, you don't even need the fortune. I don't even need the fortune. <laughs> Kim put an amazing spin on it. I don't remember exactly what she said, but it was... Just like this super positive, you well, don't look it up while I'm yeah. going into. Oh, oh I can't, I can't open Discord because my internet is so sketchy right now. Oh God I, damn it! All right, so I make a note that you need to find that. We're going to screenshot it. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the big thing about Delphi by this point, you know, 550 years ish later, was that. It was a really impressive and incredible collection of treasures that had accumulated over a thousand years or so of donations and sacrifices. Okay. So, you know, in ancient times, ancient, ancient times compared to being an imperial Roman, if a general was victorious after receiving a good prediction from the oracle, he would donate all the captured shields and the priests would like you know, do a nice aesthetic arrangement of the captured shields along the crown molding of one of the temple rooms. Wow. Okay. (laughs) There were golden bowls. There was a gold lion that weighed 375 pounds. Oh. There was a golden throne that people said belonged to King Midas. Oh. There were jewels, necklaces, vases, paintings. Basically, Delphi was the Louvre of the ancient world. Wow. Okay. Bringing yeah. it all back full circle. Wow. Yep. Okay. So it probably was pretty fucking awe-inspiring, but our luckless tourist would not have been able to simply contemplate the site before him in reverent silence because of the tour guides. Oh, 
No way. They had tour guides that long ago? Oh, fuck yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Nothing is Dad new. but was crawling with tour guides. Oh. Whether you liked it or not. And a lot of these people were like sort of quasi-failed scholars and philosophers. Like if you couldn't hack it at Plato's Academy. Oh, wow. You know, okay, fine. I'll be a tour guide because I can remember this bit about this goddamn temple. Wow. Okay. Damn. Like, if you've, you know, we've all been to the museum and been annoyed by the tour group with the really loud tour guide next to you. <laughs> Unless Multiple- the tour guide is actually interesting. Uh, yeah, but even if they're That's interesting, <laughs> if you're like just trying to enjoy the beauty of something, you're like, yeah, God, just shut the fuck up. Um, But multiply that by individual guides standing around, just spouting off facts, all trying to outshout each other. Oh, my God. And it was like almost a one-to-one ratio, like so many tour guides. And the only way to get them to shut up was to tip them. Oh, hell no. Hell no. (laughs) Oh, hell no. Fuck no. No. You're like, I am not receiving economic value for this service. No. No. (laughs) Yeah. But just, you know, it was one of those things that you kind of had to learn the hard way, just like um, you need to know, but nobody outright tells you that when you go to an all-inclusive resort, always have a huge stack of dollar bills with you because you have to tip for the drinks. I did not know this. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. But tipping was the only way to get the tour guides to shut up. Damn. After Delphi, the next stop on the itinerary was Athens. But even going back as far as the 5th century BCE, which would have been maybe 100 years after, like, the big boys were playing there, Mm -hmm. Athens was renowned as a place to visit. They even had, from the 5th century, a little limerick about it. So, other Jen, if you would. Damn. Okay. All right. If you've never seen Athens, your brain's a morass. Did I say that right? Morass. Yeah. Morass. If you've seen it and weren't entranced, you're an ass. If you left without regrets, your head is solid brass. Oh my God. (laughs) This is so pathetic. But yeah, I mean, it just goes to show that Athens had already been a tourism mecca for 500 years by the time we're talking about an imperial Roman tourist. This is like on the level of I see London, I see France, I see Susie's underpants. I see Athens underpants. But yeah, I mean, it it probably sounds more impressive in ancient Greek, but whatever. Maybe, but I mean, yeah. <laughs> this tourist that we're talking about, you know, he's he's 150 years after, quote unquote, the birth of Christ. Wow. Okay. Which is still pretty fucking ancient, considering yeah. how, you know, Christianity tries to, you know, frame the time scale of the right. faith. So, you know, if you think about this guy as, yeah, you know, he's like the great grandson time frame of the guy who was a contemporary of Christ, um, ancient Greece is already a 
500 year old tourism site. Wow. Okay. So the main attraction in Athens was the Parthenon, which is that big famous ruined temple on the top of the hill. If you've ever seen like pictures of ancient Greece, um, right. It was full of statues and ancient, even by their standards, religious iconography. Now, I think I may have mentioned it way, 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 way back in the episode about Pygmalion and Galatea. I think it's yes. Venus is a troll. Okay. How temples and statues weren't pristine white marble like I we see them today. I do remember this. They were painted in bright colors. They had a lot of gold. Like the ancients were like, fuck it, more is more. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I've included two pictures, one of the outside and one of the inside. Oh, okay. Um, of, you know, archaeologically based pe- theoretical recreations of the colors. Okay. Yeah. Th- these are very pretty. The outside picture or model representation. Mm-hmm. It has beautiful reds and blues and golds. And the gold was legit gold. Okay. Wow. It's. Yeah, this is nice and colorful. It, I, I don't. It, it looks it's cheerful. It is, <laughs> and it looks normal. It doesn't look awkward or yeah. odd. It looks natural. There's the word I'm looking for. It yeah. looks natural. It has a pleasant aesthetic. Yeah, it's very nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we scroll to the interior and. Holy crap, I want that ceiling in my bedroom. Yeah, right? (laughs) Just fucking gorgeous. Yeah. Mostly gold. Um, I have to zoom in to to get better on the fine accents. Maybe a burgundy kind of reddish accent. Mm -hmm. And this green, it's not quite a jade green. Like a turquoise jade? It's yeah, kind of somewhere in the middle of turquoise and jade mm-hmm. between those two. It just inlaid in the the squares, and of course, it's a, it's squares, it's geometric, it's a grid, it's a even fucking, numbers of patterns. It's a fucking spreadsheet on the ceiling. Um, yeah, I I'm in love with it. And then what looks like a skylight mm-hmm. right smack in the middle. Yep, it's and the skylight's stunning. right over a pool. A reflecting pool. <gasps> I didn't even look at that closely. I was so stunned by the grid. <laughs> so enamored. She misses the, the forest for the spreadsheet. Right? <laughs> <laughs> she misses the table for the cells. Oh, my God. So, okay, yeah. So not the master bedroom. This would be the bathroom. Or, yeah, I want this pool and I want that ceiling. So I can just lay on my back in the water and float and stare at the beautiful spreadsheet on the ceiling. Well, you might not want to get naked in front of this particular statue because it's Athena. Oh, she's a bitch. Yeah, she's the one who was like, Medusa got raped by my uncle in my temple. Fuck you, Medusa. Yeah. But the the um, artistic recreation of it is not entirely wrong. So most of the statue is gold, but if you look really, really closely, you'll see that some parts are painted. Yes. Like her face is painted and, you know, they've done her hair in a slightly 
different color. It's not Mm -hmm. gilt, but it's, you know, it's carved. So, yeah, you know, it wasn't aliens. They actually had the ability to, (laughs) so whatever, you know, so, but, uh, you know, it's important to remember that the Romans of this time period worshipped the Greek gods 2.0. Like, you know, they gave them all new names. But honestly, also by 200 CE. Okay. You know, again, five, six hundred years on from the original height of the classical Greek age. And, you know, another 200 years on from the birth of Christ. Believing in the Roman gods was kind of quaint. Have we gotten into the Norse gods yet? Like, is we're still six hundred years away from that? Okay, so maybe four hundred. Yeah, yeah, we're we're He's not of, quaint yet. <laughs> no, no, I mean, the Northern European pagan mythologies would still be um, pretty. Uh, you know, pretty independent of this belief system. Like okay. they'd be getting some rumblings of it. And, you know, in another 200 years or so, you'd start to see some real um, evangelizing inroads. Okay. Uh, maybe more than 200 years, like maybe around like 500, 600 CE, you'd start to see the earliest Christian missionaries, like okay. really pushing hard into the North. But when is Fenrir? Fenrir is probably like the, even if they're not the official prose Edda and poetic Edda, I'm thinking there were still sort of proto Fenrir myths, wolf myths uh, around, you know, the 400s, 500s, just as, you know, the culture was starting to coalesce. Okay, Um, got it. So, you know, we're sort of at the tail end of the pro, you know, the pseudo Greek. pantheon we're dipping our toes into christianity but honestly being truly faithful and believing in anything is isn't that sweet ah yeah we're kind of i i feel like we're kind of in a similar inflection point today you know because i agree you know yeah and I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm just saying it as a pure observation, like, yeah, you know. So anyway, nature yep. hates a vacuum. We'll see what happens, <laughs> um, <laughs> right? But more you know, Fenrir, bring back Fenrir, right? Like, <laughs> bring back the wolf. The wolf worshiping a dog is not a bad thing. Dogs <laughs> teach us the best lessons in life. So anyway, um, still, even if you were, uh feeling quaint about it. Visiting the Parthenon was pretty momentous. Like it's okay. the equivalent of visiting Notre Dame, you know, like Uh-oh. you might not believe in the actual physical transubstantiation of the host and the wine, right. but you can still feel the power of the belief. Yes. Absolutely. So so the Parthenon was momentous, but that meant you really wanted a memento. But oh my God. Yeah, I did it. I did it. Yes. And um, just like at Baye, because remember, you could buy little souvenirs like glass vials with, you know, painted beach scenes on it. Oh, right. 
um, there was no lack of souvenirs here. People sold miniature replicas of that statue of Athena that we just saw in the picture above. Wow. And there were sidewalk portrait artists. <gasps> no way. They would literally whip out a piece of papyrus and do a sketch of you standing against the backdrop of the pillars of the Parthenon. Oh, wow. Nothing is new. Sam, we got our job. We're going to go <laughs> over there. He's going to be the sidewalk sketch artist. And I don't remember what I'm He's going to have to wear a toga. <laughs> Just saying. I love it. So, oh, this is great. But there was more to do and see in Athens than just the Parthenon. There were temples, theaters, even local attractions like the houses and graves of famous people from quote unquote history. Like, oh, tourists wow. would visit the houses of Socrates and Alcibiades. Damn. Okay. I don't know if those were actually preserved or not, or just like, hey, look at that house. That belonged to <clears throat> Socrates. Right. And okay. similarly, there were the graves of the quasi-mythological figures like Odysseus. Okay. Who lived and died in Sparta. Um, <laughs> when did that ever stop the business of tourism? This but, reminds you know, me of like the tourist goes to Los Angeles and gets the buys the map of where the stars live from the dude on the corner. And it's all fake. It's all made up. You know, when you come to LA, we're going to do the map of the stars. Yeah, which one? You have to get the the. You have to get one that's legit. We're going to buy it from the sketch artist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of Sparta, time and money permitting, you could continue traveling on from Athens to places like Corinth and Olympia and Sparta. Oh, and Sparta. Uh, was not against tourism at this point because they also had a temple that claimed to have on display Helen of Troy's eggshell. Oh, fuck. Because remember, her mother Leda got fucked by Zeus in the form of a swan, and so oh. Leda laid an egg. Ah, shit. Now, some contemporary skeptics in the way back wrote home after seeing the egg that they had its doubts about its divine origin and thought it was probably just an ostrich eggshell. Right? Oh my God. <laughs> it's never aliens. It's just a bunch of nerdy wannabe conspiracy boys who are too lazy to do the actual research. <laughs> um, but, you know, the Romans were notably bloodthirsty and cruel and um, Sparta wasn't afraid to cater to that. So they still had some crazy blood sport festivals such as the Feast of Naked Boys. What? Wait, what? Yeah, all the aristocratic I... youth of Sparta would get together. They would dance in the streets covered in flowers, and then they would fight. Oh, I don't know the rules of fight and what determined who won, but I do know that biting, kicking, gouging out eyes, and whipping were allowed. <gasps> so I guess if you lived, you won. <laughs> Holy crap. Wow. Yeah. Damn. Okay. And again, if you were financially able, you went even further than Sparta and all the way to any town Turkey. I mean, ancient Troy. <laughs> As in the Troy that was supposedly sacked and burned in the Iliad. Now, okay. quote unquote, Troy at this point was a village of mud huts and the town no longer had its famous walls, assuming it okay. was Troy. 
But that didn't stop the tour guides. Of course not. <laughs> Leave it to the tour guides to take you to the beaches where the Greeks landed, the tombs uh-huh. of Achilles and Ajax, the stone where Cassandra was tied up, and the place where Zeus carried off that hot young man named Ganymede, etc. Wow. All indubitably authentic. That's the tour I want. <laughs> Don't look at the mud hut. Look at the beach. Oh, my God. <laughs> See that? See that beach? That sand? The Greeks <laughs> landed there at some point. So this would wrap up the imperial Roman tourists' jaunt to the quote-unquote old world, where everything was kind of familiar. Okay. Kind of safe. But if you wanted something really exotic, like if your family ever talked about, I don't know, going to China or like my family did back in 1980, we went to India, you know. Wow. Yeah. You would go to the, you would be in Rome and you'd hit the docks at Ostia and look for a ship sailing to Alexandria, the gateway to Egypt. (gasps) Ooh. I want to talk about Alexandria one day. Or are we about to right now? We are about to. And (gasps) I actually took an entire semester's class about Alexandria. Oh. So, yeah, we're we're going to have to do like a multi-part series deep dive on it. But Alexandria was literally the New York City of the ancient world. Oh. You know, you've got ancient Rome which had, you know, some, a lot of diverse population, but mostly in the form of slaves. You had Athens, again, diversity in the form of slavery. But Alexandria, you yeah. had free Greeks, Jews, Egyptians, Syrians, Phoenicians, Indians, Ethiopians, you know, wow. name an ancient um, ethnicity. And they were just there living side by side. Huh. You had ethnic neighborhoods. You had ethnic restaurants. Oh, with wow. High end ethnic cuisine. Everything from like the, remember we talked about in Baia, you'd have like the fast food stall. Oh, yes. Uh, so you'd have ethnic fast food stalls all the way up to Michelin star restaurants. Like, damn. Alexandria was the first major import export hub for goods coming from the Far East. So you could get Chinese silks, Arabian spices, Indian gems and jewels, other rare items. Like it even had a kind of Times Square district with all night erotic clubs, music halls, <gasps> drinking clubs. Yeah. Damn. Field trip. Is Alexandria still there? Alexandria is absolutely still there and is one of we the most cosmopolitan cities in the world to this we day. have to go. Adding it to the spreadsheet. Adding it to the spreadsheet. So Alexandria, <laughs> also just like New York City, claimed the pinnacle of culture and education with yes. its famed library, the Great Library of Alexandria. Yes, that's Ever heard what of I want to. Yes, that's what I want to talk about. Yes, but another episode, An- another yeah. time. Yes, because issues. Yes, um, it had famous places of study, um, gymnasiums, concerts, theaters. Um, in terms of where you'd stay, again, it's a lot like the situation in Baie and Naples, uh, where you'd rent a villa if you were able to, and st- or if not, stay in various quality boarding houses otherwise. Okay. And this brings me to something that I was really thinking about a lot this afternoon, which is, 
you know, you have this idea that, okay, so you rent a villa or you stay in a boarding house and then you start to extrapolate it into whenever we're talking about ancient travel or myths or stories that involve traveling. And now your mind is automatically working in the background with this knowledge to kind of imperceptibly fill in these blanks. Okay. And, but there's a kind of expansiveness to the concept and I'm not absolutely sure if that's the right way I want to put it, but it's kind of the same day way that today when we think of traveling to a foreign country, we either expect to book into a large chain hotel like a Marriott or a Hilton, or we look to rent an Airbnb. Right. It's the way we have this acquired knowledge and assume familiarity across distance and cultures. It's indicative of how we communicate and are connected. And the same goes for the ancient world and they the way they held certain beliefs and assumptions about how things work. Oh. So it's one of those like weird moments that gives me that half second of really feeling kinship with people from history. Wow. They were just like us. They operated on assumptions and hoped for the best and were curious and often made big fucking mistakes. <laughs> yep. But, you know, like... For them, going to the docks and hunting down a ship and hoping they got the right sailing date, that was their equivalent of travelocity. <laughs> right. And to them, it was so normal to question it wasn't even a thing. Yeah. And that's why, I, you know, I'm so passionate about the fact that history isn't boring. It's just us in different clothes with without indoor plumbing. Right, right. You know. But anyway, back to Egyptian travel accommodations cuz we're almost done. If you really wanted to experience ancient Egypt because by 2000 CE the pyramids were on average at least 2 to 3000 years old. And remember that meme you sent this week? No. To our Discord. It was the no. one that said Cleopatra was born closer to the invention of Bitcoin than the construction of the pyramids. Oh, yeah, that that fucked with me so bad. I love doing that shit with my brain and history and time. Like, it <laughs> is the best. Yes, that was last week. And that pretty much broke my brain. That broke yeah, <laughs> me. But it's not wrong. Like, amazing people, right? It kind of... It kind of <laughs> I love the way it fucks with your sense of time, but it also strips yes. away some of the dignity of history. So yeah. if you wanted to get down into the heartland of Egypt, because just like Alexandria isn't Egypt and New York isn't the rest of America, you know, you wanted to get to the real Egypt, the easiest way to do this, this was the easiest traveling you'd do legit on any of these trips. You okay. would rent a nice little cabin cruiser boat specifically designed for tourism. Oh, so they had little boats for tourists. Yes. And only in Egypt because okay. now you'd still have to bring your own tent and people and cookware, et cetera. But that was just kind of a given again okay. for traveling, right? Got it. Yeah. These boats were designed for leisurely floating down the Nile, not breaking any speed records. And this was because the fact that the Nile really was the source of all culture, commerce, and power in Egypt from the get-go. So oh. it was super convenient. The ancient pharaohs and priests were like, why fight a good thing? Let's build everything right along the Nile. Wow. It was a built-in itinerary. Damn. 
So the easy journey down the Nile would have lots of stops for different temples and such, but your main goal was, of course, the Great Pyramids and the Sphinx. Oh, okay. today, the pyramids are impressive, but back then, they were actually covered in polished limestone and marble and legit topped in gold. Really? If you scroll down a little bit, you'll see I included a picture. Oh, wow. And it has nothing to do with aliens. Yeah. I have to zoom in a little more. (laughs) Yep. But okay. So this is, I'm guessing this is an artist representation. Yes. Of the pyramids. And yes, they have gold tops. Yep. Wow. That is so freaking cool. And you can still see little bits of the remains of the coating or sheathing of the slabs, um, but most of it fell off starting okay. in 1303 CE when there was a massive earthquake. Oh, and, okay. Uh, centered in Cairo, and it put huge cracks in the slabs that eventually had them falling off and falling down. Aww. And the local Mameluke governors took the slabs and repurposed them for their mosques and other official buildings, which, as sad as it is, it's what ancients did from sure. the get-go. Yeah. Because, look, I only had so many slaves to haul that slab of marble, like, you know. Labor was expensive. But you know what else the pyramids were covered in? What? Graffiti. (gasps) Oh. By the time our tourist (laughs) was there in second century CE, some of this graffiti was already thousands of years old. Damn. Secundicus. Secundinus. 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 Nothing is new. Here. (laughs) So there was the one from 1261 BCE when Ta Yue wrote, he came to contemplate in the shadows of the pyramids. That's all? That's it? That's... I mean, I guess he could have written, fuck you, Secundinus, but it didn't occur to him. (laughs) Or from 1244 BCE, when Hadnakte, scribe of the treasury, came to make an excursion and amuse himself on the west of Memphis. Oh my god. And basically, I'm sure that's the polite translation of Hadnakte got drunk and got his rocks off in Memphis, yes. baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Romans were no slouches either when it came to graffiti. When Emperor Hadrian and his Empress Sabina, yes, Hadrian as in the guy who built the wall, were on their official tour of Egypt, because remember, Hadrian was one of the only emperors to tour all of the provinces. Okay, that sounds familiar. Yep, it was from the Secundinus episode. Okay. Um, So uh, Empress Sabina had an official poetess on her staff. Her name was Julia Balbila. And Julia's job was to create thoughtful and pretty little limericks and verses in praise of Empress Sabina. Wow. On the fly. Oh, so uh, Julia came up with a little verse and then commissioned um, a local stonecutter to carve it into one of the feet of a statue of Pharaoh Amenhotep III. Oh. 
at least she hired local labor for the job. So some money went back to the economy, trickled down economics. Am I right? Oh my God. <laughs> and again, all oh of these sites God. would have had tour guides, um, bribable for everything from sneaking past no entry areas to golden silence. Um, Damn. Now, Another final, less royal, but perhaps more mythological stop was the shrine of the crocodile god Sobek. Oh. Yes, the Egyptians okay. had a crocodile god, which, given the fact that the Nile is basically infested with crocodiles, makes a fuck ton of sense. Oh, yeah. Um, so, for a modest quote unquote donation, the tourists could feed the tame crocodiles. Oh my god, this is and like going to Myrtle Beach. Ate, the crocodiles ate fucking good. They had roast meat, pastry, oh honey god. wine, and apparently these crocodiles were also really fat. <laughs> oh my because god. Because the priests never refused a quote-unquote donation. But oh. the best part of the show? Dental yeah. care. What? The priest would brush the crocodile's teeth at the end of the feeding. Oh, shit. No, you're making that up. I'm not, because if you scroll down. God damn it, Kate. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. There's a, like a a marble, like a two-dimensional carving of a dude. I presume brushing the teeth of a crocodile that's like sitting up on this countertop. Like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He he probably is feeding the crocodile in one hand and then like the okay. little flower thing in his other hand is like the toothbrushing thing. <laughs> right. Yes. And if you scroll <sighs> down, I've included a couple of other images of Sobek, the Egyptian crocodile god. Okay. Yeah, these look familiar. I feel like I've seen these. Yes, because Loki Gator. Well, not just Loki Gator. I feel like I've seen these in a Disney Plus series, Moon Night, Moon Night, Moon, Moon, something. Yeah, yeah, that Moon Night, whatever. Yeah, but was that Gator? Yes. What has Loki Gator been doing? Yeah. Yeah, he's like going on tour. <laughs> he's like, I'm getting free um, food out of this sneaky. bitch. <laughs> yeah, this is this this is all Loki Gator, you know, yep. in disguise. And you want to call me Sobek? Whatever, just keep feeding me. <laughs> yeah. Now, in case you weren't fully triggered by anything so far in the episode, um. And no one got thrown to the eels because I'm still angry about that. Um, Guess what? When you got back to Rome, you had to pay a 25% duty on any imported luxury items. Oh, shit. Are you Try smuggling that bottle of wine in from France. Nothing is fucking new. (laughs) That's the real economics lesson for you. Oh, my God. Be fucking it. Wow. Back after this with questions and shit. We now return to the Drunk Mythology Gals for part two, questions and shit. So this is the end of our interaction with uh, tourism and history. For the moment, I will probably (laughs) get into it again, uh, uh, probably on Patreon, because it just has so much 
I mean, it has so much to offer, but I want to take a moment to address a 30-year-old critical book review on Amazon. <laughs> Wait, the the review is from 30 years ago? Yes. Or the book it's, is from... The book was published the, in, I think, 1984, three, something like that. Hold okay. on. Okay. Um, I have the book right here. I, I'm looking up the copyright, 1985. Okay. Um, and, and there's a review... It, it's from Amazon hasn't journal. been around for 30 years. No, but was it, it? It, it was excerpted from library journal, which is kind of like you get like in the description boxes, you'll get like review from oh. library journal or publishers weekly, blah, blah, blah. Okay. And this review is from 1986 and it's from Paula M. Zieselman, who seems to okay. have been involved with either acquisitions or library management for Sarah Lawrence College in New York. And fun fact, when I was at Vassar, we considered Sarah Lawrence too crazy and too liberal even for us. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that should tell you something. So Alrighty. I couldn't find much else about her career, just reviews for library journals. So I won't say anything more about that. I also don't have a beef against her as a person or her against her memory. She did pass in 2020, so rest in peace. However, I do have some serious issues with her opinion about my fucking intellectual foundational book. Oh, damn. So, Other Jen, if you would read her review from Library Journal. Oh, okay. All right. The author claims the aim of the book is air quotes, entertainment. And to this end, she creates, more quotes, a prototypical tourist of each epoch. Did I pronounce that right? Yes, you did. Epoch. The result is a hodgepodge and not particularly entertaining. Although Pfeiffer Mm -hmm. lists enough primary and secondary sources to fill an eight-page bibliography, footnotes would have been helpful to readers wanting to pursue some of the tantalizing statements here. Wow. Really? She's a bitch. <laughs> Keep going. Authorship, authorship is given only for long, direct quotations. Chapters focus on certain time frames, Imperial Roman, Romantic, Victorian eras, etc. The material in the tourist explosion is particularly cynical. For, oh my God. For Pfeiffer, acting like a tourist is distinctly déclassé. Not recommended. Wow. That's just... Yeah. Oh, she's got a chip on her shoulder. Mm-hmm. So, a while, big, holy crap. I do agree that I wish there had been a bit more actual footnoting or attributional endnotes, because you don't have to do footnotes, you can do endnotes too. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that was just because I'm a nerd and I wanted to follow up some details, but right. this is not a reason to slam the book as a whole. We've done two whole episodes based on one of her chapters. Yeah. I thought it was pretty fun. I don't know. Yeah. But she makes it clear that this book is not written as an academic treatise. This book does what I am trying to do, make history 
lively, fun, relevant, and fucking accessible. Yeah. Also, I don't know why Zisselman is calling out the quote-unquote hodgepodge aspect, as she terms it. Pfeiffer is absolutely clear that this is not a comprehensive examination. This bit is directly from her introduction. So, other Jen, if you will. Okay. What has interested me is to trace the ancestry of the present Western Anglo-Saxon tourist, that is to say, most readers of this book, to see where his habits and tastes began historically and how they've moved through time. The book is intended as a history of style, a thematic history, but especially as entertainment. So there's been no attempt to include everything germane to the tourist, but rather to get a line. Wow. That is literally on the second page of her introduction. So Zeisselman obviously didn't read that. And yet she may have. I think she just had this... 1970s, 80s collegiate librarian perspective that if there aren't footnotes, it's not serious. But, uh, you know, it wasn't meant to be serious. (laughs) Exactly. Like this does the book a serious disservice. You know, it's not a textbook, but the underlying theme is also not 100% entertainment either. It's really more in line with what we use the current concept of edutainment. And I think that's fine. I think that's fabulous. Like it has its place. That's what we are as a podcast. We're edutainment. Yep. And you know, my, some of my favorite podcasts and books are edutainment. I'm old enough now not to care that I am, petulant and obvious when I don't enjoy something or find it dry or dull or boring, like, I don't know, your macroeconomics textbook. Yes. Um, (laughs) I also don't see what is wrong with making learning fun for all ages and in all forms. Like if kings used jesters to sweeten the bitter truths they needed to hear, then society today needs podcasters like us to point out that emperors don't always wear clothes, new or otherwise, and that while good research matters, what's truly important is remembering the actual goddamn lesson. Yes. So I'm, I'll grudgingly give Zisselman that this isn't the kind of book that can go toe-to-toe, footnoted toe with all six volumes of Edward Gibbons's Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. Likewise, <laughs> I wouldn't take Gibbons's book as vacation reading. While tourism in history is perfect for any holiday, Roman or otherwise. Oh, I see what you did there. Bam, bitches! <laughs> oh, this has been fun. Right? This is, yeah, yeah. This you is should fun. hear what she has to say about the medieval religious pilgrim. Like, I oh. died laughing reading that chapter. Even at like the <laughs> tender age of 12, I was like, oh my God, this is hilarious. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Any there we go. Yes. Okay. So, what's on tap for next week? Uh, we're still on track to do the back to school episode. And. <laughs> no. 
kids here have been back in school a month. <laughs> Whatever. I didn't used to start school until September, bitches. Um, and also, I am getting uh, my next collection of stories together for another hot drug news because there's a lot that just oh. happened in the past two days. Fun. Okay. So, in the meantime, uh, if you have an opinion or just want to get more of our silliness, subscribe yourselves to our social media scrolls. We are on Instagram at Drunk Mythology Gals. We are on Twitter at Drunk Myth Gals. We're on Facebook at Drunk Mythology Gals. We're on the web at drunkmythologygals.com. Hi, Squarespace. We still love you. Yes. <laughs> and uh we're also on patreon at patreon.com slash drunk mythology gals where you get all kinds of shenanigans lit crit hours and the infamous deep dives including all the ones that i've now had to set myself up for yes or you can send us an email that i need to check again while we're sitting here because <laughs> i haven't checked it in a few days yeah. gals at drunkmythologygals.com we do have a new email it just came in yesterday we'll read that later oh boy oh boy <laughs> now i'm now i'm anxious so <laughs> special thanks to sound effects kim for putting the top spin on our sound and Thanks again to all of you for joining us. Please subscribe, leave a rating or review, and tell your friends and family about us, especially if they're like, I don't know, the book doesn't have footnotes. I don't feel like it's serious enough. And if I'm not falling asleep while I'm reading it, can it really be worth it? Finally, <laughs> always remember, if the gods can behave badly, excluding Zeus and the goddamn eggshell, then so can you. Thank you.